Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. So, we have some Mariners talk to get to in one moment. Quickly, though, out of the world of college men's basketball. Curtis, you saw a wild update on... Um, this uh, story out of Alabama, Alabama number one team in the country right now. They've had an ongoing issue with like a shooting well, that happened prior to. Yeah, one of their players earlier this season. This is different than the story we talked about. About last New week, Mexico, Mexico State. Mexico State. Separate issue. Uh, one of their players was involved in a drive by shooting earlier this season where they were arrested and I believe charged with capital murder. Uh, they obviously were kicked off the team. And according to testimony today, this is all from AL.com, Alabama uh, news outlet. They say that Alabama basketball player Brandon Miller, who has been one of the best players in the country this year, a lock to be a lottery pick this year, probably a top five pick if we're uh, being real about it. Uh, He brought the gun used on the killing uh, that led to capital murder charges for his now former teammate Darius Miles. No relation to the NBA player Darius Miles or the former NBA player and uh, his accomplice. So it's just a wild developing story. Yeah. I will add on that um, Alabama. Ha- and I know some of you are like, why do we care about this? Because I think this is going to be a story. The best just- player on the best team. Yeah, because it's it, if you hear about it. At any point, March on Sports Madness Center and stuff like that. Away. Yeah, this yeah. is this is the background. Alabama uh, coach Nate Oates said that uh, Brandon Miller is quote not in any trouble. So again, developing story, but something to keep an eye on, just kind of in the back of your mind while you're aware of it. Let's talk about something that's more front and center for Seattle, and that is the Seattle Mariners. They had their first full team practice, uh, spring training underway. Who needs to outperform expectations for the Mariners to make the playoffs in 2023 bump? That was my question for us, and this is why I'm asking it. Last year, the Mariners were a good team, 91 team, but they needed exceptional, and in some cases even out-of-character seasons from a few guys. Cal Raleigh took off, set a new franchise record for home runs by a catcher, a chance he got because Tom Murphy was injured early. Eugenio Suarez is and has been a great hitter over the course of his career, but did break a tough stretch of his career, took off as the team's home run leader. Julio didn't outperform expectations, but meeting them as a rookie is something special. I mean, all of these guys are guys that we're really excited about, so... I understand that in your answer, you don't have like one guy. We're going to talk about a couple Mm -hmm, guys here, mm -hmm. but let's start with maybe one idea. The first name that comes to mind when I say bump, who needs to outperform expectations for a playoff run? Platooning in that outfield. Ooh, Tramiel's out for a little bit. You're looking at JK, you're looking at AJ, and you're saying, all right, both of y'all need to outperform expectations. And I'm looking at AJ, man. I'm just recently, last year, I had a 681 OPS. Uh, 389 slugging for his career. He's around 804, 69. Mm-hmm. So outperform what you did last year. You're going to two platoon. He's going to be hopefully be used against the lefties most of the time. Take, take some pressure off of JK. Um, I'm thinking he needs to outperform for two reasons. One, offense needs to get going. We're talking to BG in the sports pit. You ask him, what's the thing that you can say about this Mariners team that everyone's worried about, that we need yeah. to be worried about, yeah. is producing runs. All right, We know defensively they're going to be fine or feel like they're going to be fine. We feel like that pitching staff is on point, but you got to produce. And I feel like a guy like AJ, who's been in this league for 11 seasons, who's been around the block a couple of times, can take some pressure off of the JK. Because we all know how hard he is on himself, how tight and tense this young man is. 
And um, I was watching baseball tonight, and they're saying he fixed some things on his swing. And I hope he just he stays in that pocket, right? But how can you help this young man? One, you give him a bunch of opportunities like the Mariners have given him over the years, and then you provide him some help out there, and it's A.J. And mm-hmm. I think A.J. needs to outperform expectations. This is going off his numbers from last year and the situation that they're in now with Tramiel being hurt and J.K. having to step up. I am going to have um, a a weirder answer here that seems more obvious, but I'm saying it for a specific reason. Uh, I love the uh, left field platoon looking at uh, JK, looking at Taylor Trammell, looking at AJ is like your main answer for that. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, if Taylor Trammell and Jared Kelnick don't become exceptional or meet expectation, then you need someone else to quite literally overperform, right. which is your answer, right? Mm-hmm. Like then you need the insurance you added in AJ Pollock to be even better than you thought he would be to make up for the gap. Great answer. Uh, I'm going with someone we're already expecting to perform, but is facing a unique challenge to Seattle hitters, and that is Teoscar Hernandez. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez is a wonderful hitter and has been, uh, you know, for the entirety of his time, uh, really, barring like any injuries or whatever that he's faced. Um, And I think that when he was signed, you thought, okay, great, fantastic. Like you have someone who. you know, is coming here off a 25 home run season in 2022, 32 home runs in 2021, 26 in 2019, 2018, he had 22. I mean, outside of, uh, you know, a 2017 season where he clearly didn't play nearly as much, like he's had a minimum of 20 home runs in a, in regular seasons, not a COVID shortened season. And at his highest, 32, which would, you know, be one of the leading hitters on any team and, and certainly in Seattle. I think, though, that what we've seen is sometimes when the Mariners have brought in hitters from other teams, Mm -hmm. they have not met expectations or even been like altogether satisfied here because it is not a hitter friendly park. And when you have guys that go from um, playing indoors or in a dome or playing in hitter friendly parks and coming here you see sometimes a challenge to their own performance. I mean, I think of Jesse Winker last year as a perfect example. Someone who hit in a hitter-friendly park in Cincinnati who came here and was like, what's happening? Like, why Why isn't this working for me? And it didn't end up working here for Jesse in Seattle. But I think that when I say outperform expectations, I think I also mean like to kind of challenge that assumption about yeah. hitters coming to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that because that's the... Uh... That is the uh, the stigma when it comes when hitters right. come out here. It's like this is not a a hitter friendly type of park. The thing that keeps me optimistic about Teoscar Hernandez, we have the opportunity to interview this dude, and he loves it out here. Mm-hmm. He loves the ballpark, and we know how much of the game is mental when it comes to any type of sport. If you walk into a ballpark and the first thing you're thinking is, "Man, I can't hit here," then why would you expect any type of success at the plate when that's what you're thinking? And we sat down with him. And Teoscar Hernandez, he looks out into uh, T-Mobile Park with those piercing eyes. And we're talking to him. And I feel like he's envisioning himself going yard all across the yard. It just felt right. So, of course, you got to go out there and perform. It's a performance-based business. But especially in baseball, if Teoscar Hernandez is coming into this thing, feeling good about the ballpark, happy to be here, that's a great place to start. Curtis, I want to let you sound off on this name before we do because you mentioned it in the sports pit. And that is your shortstop J.P. Crawford. Yeah, J.P., uh, you're going to need to outperform expectations because, simply put, you've got to make sure that the investment the Mariners have made in you it pays off because the amount of great shortstops that they have passed on in the last two off seasons 
is pretty staggering. Like, I don't think we're ever going to see shortstop classes in back-to-back years as deep as they were in free agency in 2021 and 2022. And they, they passed on Carlos Correa in both years. And Correa signed with the Twins on a, what, five, six-year deal this last year, mm-hmm. which, I mean, obviously the, the Mariners want roster flexibility. They don't want to lock themselves into too many long-term commitments. But I feel like five, six years of Carlos Correa is an investment that – should be pursued by most teams. Now, obviously, there are question marks about injuries with him going forward. That's why the Mets backed out on him uh, or backed off on him. That's why the Giants backed off on him. Um, But JP last year had a down year by every assessment, and he did not improve upon the good 2021 season he had. There were flashes, obviously, got off to a great start in 2022, but he just simply fell off a cliff after probably the month of May and the Mariners made it to the playoffs, but I don't think they made it to the playoffs because he was a huge contributor. I think they made it to the playoffs kind of despite his performance. Yeah, and Bump, I look at both JP and even Ty France and some of these guys where when you think Mariners, you think of those guys as being like core members of this mm-hmm. team and part of this nucleus. I don't worry that Julio Rodriguez is going to meet or exceed expectations, right? Like I have right. every – he's given me no reason to think he can't. I do think it's important that these pieces that are not getting moved, Ty France isn't getting moved. Like they've committed to JP. They've got Ty here. Um, I think it's important that those guys play like all-stars. And I don't think that that is asking the world of a team that is a going to be hosting the all-star game in 2023 and B knows and knew heading into the season that they were expected to make the playoffs. Yeah. You just need them to be themselves. That's what you need. And that's what great teams have. They have guys who are consistent, who are going to show up, and you know what you're going to get out of them. Of course, they're going to go through their slumps and have their bad moments, but just be who you've been, and you'll be fine. Ready for my next one? Mm-hmm. All right, I'm sticking with the platoon dudes. It's the the support, Dylan Moore. Mm. He's coming off of surgery, had abdominal surgery. Him and Colton Wong going to be working at second base. Dylan Moore has played every position but catcher for the Mariners at this point. So now I think there's, some, there's something nice about stability. Right now, if they need him, of course, they're going to move him around and stuff. But going into the season, he goes, okay, me and Colton are going to two-platoon this thing at second base. Look at his numbers last year. Not horrible, but... Imagine if he were to exceed expectation. If he played even up to or better than Colton Wong, mm-hmm. the weapons that you have at that second base. So I'm looking at the platoon guys and saying, if you can get the supporting cast, the guys who are going to be um, second or the guys who are coming off the bench to support this start over here, you get those guys to perform at a high level and then everyone else is who they're supposed to be. Yeah. That's how you start to win ball games. So I'm looking at Dylan too. Exactly, because those are the parts. Dylan also represents usually the part in the lineup you get to where when this team was at its worst offensively, you would get to a stretch where once it got past, I don't know, your fourth or fifth batter because they had injuries or suspensions Mm -hmm. or whatever, you were like, there's a stretch of several guys here where I don't know if they're going to get a hit. Like, if you didn't drive in a run by that guy, you were like, all right, guess we're waiting until the next next inning to see what can happen because you got to go through this part of the lineup. Like, you just reached a dead spot. And that's not weird for teams uh, to hit that, you know, seven, eight, nine, and you're just kind of wondering who's going to do what. And sometimes they perform and sometimes they don't, right? Right. (laughs) It's not weird that you get past the cleanup hitter and see a downturn. But um, it it is a bummer for a playoff-bound team or a team with playoff aspirations to have too many of those guys in the lineup. So, thankfully, Dylan is not that guy. You could not have... Any Adam Frazier's out there. You can't have a gap where you go, this is an automatic out. I yeah. so badly want this to work. And in one of the most important games, it did. Credit it did. to Adam Frazier. That's the thing for that getting, killed me about Adam. I know. 
My Adam. You were like, Adam, really? How you be clutched like three, four times a year? And he did it in the most important <laughs> moment, so I have to give him credit for that. A huge Drove part of that win over the Blue Jays, that amazing, miraculous comeback victory for the sweep in the wild card round. Um, but that's a great answer. I want Dylan Moore also to be um, just randomly filling in for places we wouldn't expect. Like Scott Service is like has to take time off, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, Dylan Moore is skipper for this game. Like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, when you guys said utility guy, you really meant it. Uh, I want to throw in for my final one um, your uh, young pitchers. And I thought about going bullpen in case there's regression, just how important the bullpen was for Seattle, but I'm going to stick with the starters for right now and just say – uh, probably George Kirby, George Kirby and Logan Gilbert, two guys that I'm looking at is like, mm-hmm. if you have those guys surpass your own expectations of, of what they can do, I think you have a team that can be more dominant more often than not, rather than like, all right, let's see if they can get the offense going. I didn't mind the feeling of being like, maybe they don't need, you know, four runs. Maybe they can do it with three or two. Could you imagine if this pitching staff took another step forward in development. And we're anticipating that because of all the youth that they have with that. You expect Castillo to be Castillo. I don't know what more my mans could do, Luis Castillo. Uh, You expect Robbie Ray to probably have a better start than he had last year. But everyone else, you're looking at development. And when you read stories and you hear about these guys adding pitches, adding a different type of slider, messing around with things, you get excited because you're like, all right, if you all just did what you did last year, we're going to be in good shape. But now there's more to prepare for. You're adding stuff to your your repertoire. I love that. And... Way to mention that because Pete Woodworth, Mariners pitching coach, on with us said, "Did he say, Curtis? Do you remember? Did he say every guy has, is wanting to add something Everybody. except for Everybody Luis? Everybody but Luis. He said everyone yeah. but Luis has come to camp right. with a pitch that they specifically wanted to add, and he would not tell us everything about what it was. I'm sure it'll start, you know, coming out a little bit as players do interviews with reporters out there in Peoria. But I'm fascinated. Yeah, to here's see that, that uh, cut from Pete. I think every single one of them will have a new weapon this year. A handful of those guys got off the mound today." Yeah, Robbie's got one. Kirby's got one. Gilbert's got one. Flexen's got one. Luis Castillo's really good. I don't think he needs one. I like Luis Castillo. Like you right. guys can. I'm good, man. <laughs> you know what? I'll do. Cute if you guys. <laughs> Luis is like. I don't need it. Luis, I just won't take my hat off after every pitch yeah. now. Got a pitch clock. <laughs> That's what I'm switching up. All right, let's get to four down territory. This, this is four down territory. Going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, Arizona's now hired their new offensive coordinator. What do we need to know about the guy? And if you were a Cardinals fan, would you like the hire? What all right, do you like the hire? I think you like the hire because there is a relationship between him and Gannon. They were in Minnesota together. That's where my guy Drew was a receiver coach, a assistant quarterback coach. Um, so he knows his offense. At least on paper, it looks like he knows his offense. He's worked with Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. The theme, the theme for this Arizona, when they were looking for um, an offensive coordinator, they were going to go young. They went Drew Terrell. He uh, interviewed for the job. He was the commander's wide receiver coach. Five years experience in the league. He's 31 years old. You got 31. Joel, 31. You got Joe Thomas. He's 48. My age. 48. Oh, my God. Curtis, why aren't you an offensive coordinator? Boy, uh, there are a lot of answers to that question. Bump. You got Joe Thomas. He's 48 years old. He's also from Port Angeles. He was the uh, running backs local coach guy. for Shout the Saints. Out. Local guy. Big ups. Right. Coach at UW in Idaho. Then you had Trey Walters, the Bengals wide receiver coach. He's 46. He has some OC experience. So you went fairly young. Mm-hmm. My guy, Drew, is 35 years old. He was with the Browns. He's with the um, QB coach and the Titans coach. He's a first-time offensive coordinator. So I think you should be excited because there's a relationship. There's not a lot of learning each other that has to go down. Mm-hmm. And then they're coming out and they're saying the right things. They're saying, look, we're going to put 
Kyler Murray under center. All right, so what do you have to do to put him under center? You got to have a run game. I look at their run game over there, and you know what I thought who, who they should go after this offseason? Who? Rashad Penny. They should look at Rashad Penny to, to team up with James Conner in that backfield. So they're saying all the right things. You have a quarterback guy who played quarterback and receiver. He can make those connections. Um, so it sounds good over there. Why not be excited if you're Arizona? Why not? Everyone else is gone. Uh, two things. One, thankfully he's young. Maybe he can use – I want him to use, like, Call of Duty references to, like, help <laughs> Kyler. Where we drop it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, secondly, do you ever have that sick urge to like want to see what a player on your team would look like in another team? Yeah. Because you just want to see like, okay, what would this guy look like if he had uh, Patrick Mahomes throwing to him? What would this guy look like if he was playing on a defense uh, where, you know, there was a great defensive line or whatever? And you're glad they're in Seattle, but you're just curious. That's exactly what I was feeling with Rashad ago. Man, he did it here. He can well, do it somewhere else. And some guys only reach their potential because they're surrounded by great players, too. Like, there are very few players that can come in and be a superstar on a bad team. Like, most guys need help around them. And so, second down. USFL will have their first college draft today. What are some of the challenges with having a draft before the NFL has theirs? One is necessary. Their season's coming up like you have to have the draft now. But what you're going up against is you're going to draft some dudes who are probably going to get drafted by the NFL as well. So as a player and as an agent, you got to sit down and be honest about your assessment, your self-assessment. Where do I think that I am going to end up? There's going to be 80 draft picks in the 2023 USFL draft, and their salaries are only going to be $60,000. Not guaranteed. If you win every game, you're going to get $60,000. You're going to be around $50,000. Practice squad salary is $207,000 in the NFL if you're one of those P-Squad guys. So you got to try to figure out what's going on there. But here's the thing that makes me or keeps me optimistic about this league. They pulled a profit last year. Usually those first leagues don't pull a profit. USFL pulled a profit. What they did was Fox owns the league, all right, so they didn't have to buy the rights. They saved money there. I just look at the infrastructure of the league, and I say this league might be here for a while. But the hardest part is going to be able to figure out Who's going to get drafted by the NFL? Who's not going to be drafted? There's about 300 eligible players in the USFL draft, but that's a conversation you're going to have to have. But a conversation that um, I feel that these guys are fortunate to have because if you don't make it in one league, you got two other leagues to mess with. USFL, big ups. All right, third down. The Seahawks have hired a new quarterback coach, Greg Olson. What do you like about the hire? Greg Olson, he's an OG, man. He's an OG. He was a grad assistant at WSU Gokus, 87 to 89. Okay. He's been an offensive coordinator at Idaho, Central Washington. All right, the Jags, the Lions. Um, he was uh, helped out with the Rams, 06 to 07, had the number six offense there with the Raiders. He's just been around the block. He also helped the uh, the Bucks get franchise records and yards per play and rush per play back in the day. And most importantly, he knows Shane Waldron, and Shane Waldron knows him. He's coached John Kitna, Drew Brees, and Jared Goff. You look list those three quarterbacks. Now, Drew Brees is in a class of itself, but Jared Goff and John Kitna, uh, Geno-esque, you know what I'm saying? He understands how to deal with the best quarterbacks and then those middle-tier type quarterbacks. So, He's um he's just been here and he's done that. And I think that mature presence will resonate with Gino. I think it'll help Shane Wadgen out. I like the familiarity. On paper, this is a good hire. It makes complete sense. Now we'll just see how he connects with Gino. Fourth down. 
NFL's franchise tag window officially opened today. What are some franchise tag situations you're personally interested in? Obviously, Lamar Jackson, you want to see what happens there. You're going to sign him. You're going to tag him. If he gets the tag, it's going to be about $45 million, but exclusive rates aren't locked in until April, so they could get away with $32 million over there. But the most intriguing one to me, I'm looking at Tony Pollard over there with the Dallas Cowboys, a running mm-hmm. back. He had a high ankle sprain to end the season. He'll be ready to go. But if I am Dallas, I'm going to franchise Pollard, and I'm going to find a way to trade Zeke Elliott. He's worth around a third-round pick right now. And then I look at Houston, $37 million in cap space. You got Pierce over there. Imagine teaming up. Pierce is still on his rookie contract. You team up Zeke Elliott over there, you never know what's going to happen. And then I look at Atlanta as well. They got $55 million in cap space. They can afford to keep Algier and Patterson. They're two leading rushers. Man, you add Zeke over there, there's something that could be going on. Zeke is past his prime. I think he's still got some juice in there, but he's going to need some help. So I look at Tony Pollard and I say, how much do they value this young man? A thousand yards rushing. He did get banged up, but he's clearly better than Ezekiel Elliott at this point of his career. You can get some draft capital with Elliott. These teams that have a lot of money to spend, you get a third rounder. I'm looking at Zeke and saying, what's up? I am not saying that just because you're a bad team uh, in a really, really great conference that you need to make horrible investments. Like, (laughs) if I'm the Texans GM, I don't want to make horrible long-term investments. That said... Do I want attendance to be exceptionally high? Do Mm -hmm. I want some star power here? Am I willing to spend a little bit out of my comfort zone because I don't have that many stars I need to pay money to? I might consider that trade. If you're bad and you got cap space? Yeah. Go for it. I might, I might I might consider that just to be like, why not, right? Like, I'm a couple years away from contention, and I know that that's not how players and coaches. I had a, a someone earlier mentioned, you know, like, hey, why don't the Seahawks? Or basically saying a, a very logical argument of like, hey, you're probably a couple years removed. Like, wouldn't it be better to, instead of paying Gino, like invest in all these pieces? And it's like, yes, hypothetically, that's how a GM can think, but head coaches and players don't think that way. Mm-hmm. So you have these competing forces of, Head coaches and players are like, hey, I get fired or cut if this doesn't work out. And for players especially, it's like, I've got maybe a couple years to get this worked out. They want to win now. Then you have GMs that just want the best, uh, you know, and most affordable, feasible options. And sometimes that means long-term building. And they're just constantly at odds. As fans and and analysts, we got all the time in the world. Take your time. You don't have to sign them. No rush. Yes. There's rush. There's there's There's, high intensity Don't forget the force from players and coaches (laughs) that are like, hey, I don't want to wait. For real. It's Bumpin' Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app coming up in the timeline. College football strongly considering new rule changes that would speed up the pace of play. That's next. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. You are listening to The Timeline on Bump and Stacy. We got a couple things to go over today in The Timeline, which is reading the top stories you're going to see. Um, trends, uh, conversations, viral videos. One of which of DK Metcalf could have been real. Who can say? Um, so let's start with, <laughs> let's start in college football. Why are you laughing? Bump again. A lot of people could have thought that video was real. Yeah. College, so gullible. Sp- specifically one person on this show. College football is strongly considering four different rule changes that would speed up the pace of play in games. Two of them are non-controversial. One is kind of getting support and the fourth is very controversial so let's get to it uh these descriptions i uh took from sports illustrated uh you can find that up there also ross dellinger has uh, a tweet explaining all of them so as for the two non-controversial proposals i'll read them and then you tell me what you think bump for each one number one prohibiting consecutive timeouts like icing the kicker 
Love it. Love it. Love it, man. Don't slow the game down even more because you're going to ice this kicker. And I'm sure the kickers love it, too. Yeah. You got me once, can't do it again. Now I can lock in and be ready to go, even though they're locked in um, for every kick. Yeah. But no, I like that. It's unnecessary to me. And I, I get that you're trying to get into the kicker's head, a little gamesmanship right there. But that's another commercial break. That's another four to five minutes of the game just extended for no it's reason. It's a coaching Hail Mary. Yeah, I was exactly. like, oh, let's see. I mean, maybe we can get in his head. Let's try it. It hardly ever works. Uh, okay, the second non-controversial rule is no longer extending a first or third quarter for an untimed down if the quarter ends on a defensive penalty. So the down would be clocked starting the next yeah, quarter. Yeah, first and third quarter it have no has no effect in the game. Mm-hmm. You got 15 minutes in a quarter. What is that going to take another 25 to 30 seconds off the clock. I love that rule. I'm glad they're doing it. Okay. Let's get to the slightly more controversial ones. All of these, by the way, are clock rules. Uh, Number three, the clock will continue to run after an offense gains a first down, except for inside two minutes and a half. Okay. Now, this is the one that gets me a little bit because the clock will continue to run even after a first down. The good thing about the clock stopping is that it allows the Zebras to get in place. And a lot of the times uh, teams are ready to go and the Zebras not in place. So say the clock is continuing to run after a first down. This team is driving in the second quarter to win the game, driving in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Instead of that grace period to where these young men, 18 to 30 years old, are ready to go, are now waiting for Joe the Plumber, who's 50-some years old, trying okay. to get the ball in place. Again, Joe does a great job. He does a great job. <laughs> yeah. Joe, I appreciate you. You. But Joe runs a six seven. Joe runs yeah. a seven flat. So um, I get they're trying to speed the game up. Joseph's but for me, a as a as an offensive guy, right. as an offensive guy, <laughs> I I thought the NFL should adopt that from the college rule because how many times have we seen these pros ready to go and they're waiting on the zebras? I call Joe every time my house needs help with anything. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's just a nice. I like sweet this. Man. I like this rule proposal. I really do because. The one thing we can agree on is that college games take way too long to play. Like, the reason we don't complain about it a ton, though, is because it only happens once a week. It mm-hmm. only happens on Saturdays. Well, because most of the time it's still a good game that you're still kind of enjoying. Yes. But it also messes up the TV windows a lot of the time for other games where you see coverage of one game bleed over into another mm-hmm. game. You miss the first quarter of the game that you really want to tune into mm-hmm. because Purdue and Northwestern are, you know, taking their sweet old time to finish out this, you know, 23 to 19 yeah. game. Feels personal, but okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of Big Ten football. Uh, and, and so moves like this will allow for less crossover in terms of TV windows. And I think this is one that's going to uh, have a significant impact because with the, with most offenses across the country being no huddle with most offenses across the country, you know, running a hundred plays a game, you're going to see more first downs during a game, which means the clock is going to stop more often during a game. So the more, so the less the clock stops during the game, the quicker it's going to get through. Most teams do not run no huddle and most teams do not have a hundred plays a game. That's, yeah, but they have like 80 plays yeah, a game. But you're, I get where you're coming from as a fan. As players and coaches, when you're ready, you're ready. We gotta, we're gonna, so we're gonna waste time because this guy who's officiating the game can't put the ball down. That's the only thing that, uh, that bothers me is that these guys are ready to go. It, it's definitely gonna cut off time for sure. But as far as gameplay, I think the NFL should adopt it. But, I see where you're coming from because you're coming from. I'm at home. Get this game over with. I got things to do. But I'm coming from the field. Like, no, nah, I like this rule. 
Mm-hmm. Well, well, most of these rules are not going to be made with the players in mind. They're going to be made no. with TV windows in mind. That's the problem, too, though, because the gameplay is what's affected. The viewership, is a, it brings in money. I understand that. But on the field, this is the Zebras, man. They but just also, it's, annoy me. it's a rule that they're going to have to get used to anyway if they want to go pro. Yeah, because for sure. that's how that, it is in the NFL. That's why I said the NFL should adopt this rule because I'm looking at the NFL and these offenses are ready to go and the clock is ticking and my guy Joe just can't put the ball down okay. in time and be Once ready to go. go. Can I get to the fourth and controversial rule? Yeah. This one, I love okay, I love that this has sparked a debate between you guys actually. This is perfect for me because I haven't even gotten to the really controversial one. Sound off. I'll start with bump. Uh number 4, the most controversial of the four proposals, the clock will continue to run after an incomplete pass once the ball is spotted for the play. Clock will continue to run after an incomplete. No, that's, I mean, that's fundamental football right there. Yeah, what do you do to stop the clock? That's stupid. Yeah. Incomplete pass. Now you guys are just teaming what, up. What yeah. are we doing? Call Joe. Yeah. Let him know. <laughs> what are we doing? No, I, I don't like that at all. I think that is takes away so much strategy when it comes to football. When you're out of timeouts and you're trying to prolong a game, when you're you're using substitutes. There's so many things that an incomplete pass does. It even helps the defense as well. Say mm-hmm. they have the wrong personnel out there, incomplete pass, boom, you're able to make these changes. No, I don't like that rule at all. I don't get that rule. That's the one I don't get. That's an extreme to keep That's the, the thing. Moving. You took two you went from, hey, don't ice the kicker with two back to back timeouts, which is like yeah, I'm cool with that, too. And also don't stop the clock after incomplete passes. The Wait, what? Only we way, went from 0 to 60. The only way I would be okay with this rule is if it was only implemented if a, if the score of a game got to where a team was up by, like, 40-plus points. And it's like, all right, let's keep this thing going. Mercy no, rule. No one wants to see, you know, Jacksonville State lose by 80 points to Alabama. Like, let's keep it going. Let's keep this game at, like, let's, no one wants this. Let's let's end it as quickly as possible. That's the only way I'd be okay with that mm-hmm. fourth proposal. Also, then they they still have to spot the ball, so they just say like, think of the speed of communication for this. Like, okay, your your huddle has to go to the uh, forty five because we spotted it here. You know what I mean? Like, then you have to run to get to that. The clock's still running. With, I don't like it. With it's the messy. last two rules, you still have to the ball boy has to. Well, the referee has to get the ball. Maybe the ball's too far. The ball boy has mm-hmm. to get the ball to the referee. Mm-hmm. The referee has to run over to set it down. Meanwhile. These guys are ready to go. No, I don't like that last I also, one the one that we were talking about with after the offense gains a first down that you and Curtis were debating about is uh, anywhere except for inside two minutes. It's not clear from this report whether the incomplete pass rule is is also with the exception of within mm. two minutes. I don't think it is. I don't is. think it. I think that this also goes up to So that it takes away spiking the football. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's wild. I don't know okay. about that. Next story here in the timeline. It'll end up being our last one. New Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gannon is kind of an awkward dude. Take a listen to his interaction with Cardinals players. Hey! What's up, man? How you doing? Good. Good. Shots. Explosives. Explosives. You can run. Hey, Calvin. How you doing, man? Good to meet you. Yeah, Yeah. thank you, man. Thank you. Good player. Good player. I know it. I know it. Yeah. How you doing, bro? Good to see you, man. Good to see you. How you doing? Good. Will, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Will, right? Hernandez. Yeah. Big old guard. That's right. I like it. Good. Good. What's up? That's from Wesley. Nice, nice to meet you. you. Yeah. 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 
What's up, James? Good, good to meet you, man. Good to Sorry, meet you. Too. Appreciate you. Thank you for the shout, dude. I appreciate well, it, man. Know. Yeah, I know. What I hear is a cool, normal dude. Because this is exactly how I am with people. <laughs> yeah, I know you. Shots. <laughs> I know you. Explosives. Uh, Big old guard, right? Don't run into this guy. (laughs) Two two ways we can look at this. Maybe this is really him. Maybe this is just who he is and he's being completely natural. Or I heard this and I thought, this is nervous energy. Nervous energy right here. Absolutely nervous energy. But then I thought of Mike uh, over there with Miami. He's weird as heck and it works for him. Mike with Miami. Uh, Mike with Miami. He is not awkward. He's like, you can... there's not an awkwardness that seeps from him. You can just tell he's living in his own world. You know? He's like laughing at his own jokes that he's saying on the sideline, just kicking it with himself. Man. What a it, world it to was be awkward. in. It's the first thing you say to your quarterback. Pew, pew, pew. Well, no, 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 no. It's funny you say that. Here's audio of him meeting Kyler Murray for the first time. Right. Let's go, man. Let's go. Let's go. Can't wait, man. Can't wait. I was talking about you, bro. Everything I said. Let's go. Oh, man. They said, why do you want to take this job? Well, not many open jobs have a franchise quarterback. That's why. (laughs) Kyler Murray tries to end that conversation no less than three times. (laughs) That one was better. You know, that one was slightly better. But you know when you're walking away from a conversation and someone's still having the conversation with you? Yeah. And you're, like, walking away while they're like, yeah, so anyways, I was at the store the other day. And that's kind of what this was. The energy is giving. I then, I then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, love that. Love that. Yeah, 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 I'll see you later. I'll see you later. Uh, All right. That will do it for the timeline today. If you miss any part of the show, make sure you're subscribed to the Bump and Stacey podcast. The latest Seattle sports news is available right on your phone every single weekday. That's wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, whatever it is. Please rate and review and subscribe. We would very, very much appreciate it. You're listening to Bump and Stacey right now on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up, one of the biggest stories in the NFL we haven't even gotten to yet. Eric Bieniemy reportedly taken a new gig with Washington. Would you make the decision that he did? That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. All right, let's talk about Eric Bieniemy. I know this has nothing to do with Seattle, but y'all, not only is it the offseason, I also think it's a really interesting conversation. So let's dive into it. You are listening to Bump and Stacy. Here we go. Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, currently taking a job with Washington. Now, his goal, as we know, as for any coordinator, is probably to be a head coach. But it wasn't happening, despite Kansas City finding a ton of success with him at the helmet offensive coordinator. Now, Bump, there are plenty of reasons that this might have been happening, but I'm going to start our segment here by instead reading a tweet from a Washington reporter. He said, I'm not sure why people keep wondering why Bienemy took this job. If his goal is to be a head coach, for whatever reason, it wasn't happening with the Chiefs. This is his chance to show all he can do. He's betting on himself. If it pays off, it pays off for the commanders. Let's talk about why Eric Bienemy made this decision and whether or not you would have done the same. He made this decision to get out of the shadows of Andy Reid one of the greatest coaches of all time, one of the greatest offensive minds of all time. And if you listen to people like LaShawn McCoy and people talk about the enemy, they says he has nothing to do with the pass game. This is all Andy Reid. So if you've been a part of the one of the greatest offenses in all the land for five years mm-hmm. and you're still not getting head coach opportunities because you are perceived as someone who is riding the coattail of one of the greatest of all time, you got to get up out of there. Now, it might end tragically, 
with the Commanders. Mm-hmm. You got Sam Howell, who has one start in his career as a, as a quarterback in the NFL. You do have a good defense. You have some offensive weapons. Who knows what the temperature is like over there? You might probably get one year and you'll be out of but there. But an organization that is generally floundered. Yeah. So so outside looking in, he's putting himself in a horrible position. Mm-hmm. But personally, he's stepping out of the shadow of Andy Reid and saying, look, I can call plays as well. If it all crashes and burns over there, with the commanders, he's still going to be a coordinator in this league. He's still going to get opportunity, but he set himself up to be a head coach. And to do that, he's got to prove to us and everybody else that it's not Andy as him. Now, there have been a lot of rumors as to why he hasn't been hired. Obviously, in a league that has struggled to diversify any of its coaching ranks or struggled to retain, especially black head coaches with failing programs versus white head coaches with failing programs, um, there's a conversation there that's been had about Eric Bieniemy. I need to mention that there are also conversations about Eric Bieniemy. Uh, one, that it's really more Andy Reid's offense than him, which you pointed out. And two, from sources like LaShawn McCoy, who are like, Eric Bieniemy is not an especially essentially likable person, mm-hmm. is what Sha- uh, Sean McCoy is saying. Like, I don't know that you'd want to like play for this guy, and like maybe he's not interviewing well. Maybe people don't have great relationships with him. Whatever it is, when you are the offensive coordinator with a team and an offense that is this this successful for so long, there are there's some kind of reason you're not finding that job elsewhere. I see this as like a win-lose, win-lose situation for him. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is if he stays in Kansas City, he quite literally wins. Like you are with the best team in the stronger conference with the best quarterback in the NFL. You lose in that you can never be separated from Andy Reid. Everything you do is tied to Andy Reid, and Reid is going to get all the credit. So you win, you lose. You go over to Washington, and it's like a lose-win situation. Um, You are with a very unstable program that has such a significant drop-off at quarterback and on offense that I can't even begin to articulate it. However, you could potentially win, step out of the shadow of Andy Reid, and get your chance at being a head coach. So... Either way, there is a gamble to be made, whether he stays or whether he goes. There is no clear win situation. It's about what's doing best for him. And what's best for him and his current state is to stay with the Chiefs because they will be in at least two more Super Bowls in the next four or five years. We know that. But as a man, as a human being, as a woman, as a kid, you aspire to do things. Mm-hmm. You want to reach certain pinnacles. You want to hit certain marks. And he clearly wants to be a head coach in his league or he wouldn't be interviewing all this time. And say the people are right about Andy Reid. He's making all the calls. He's doing this. He's doing that. Um, okay, so what can Eric do? He can take all the things he learned from Andy Reid and take it over to the commanders. Now, the commanders can have a formidable offense and still lose a bunch of games. You, I can look at a football team and say that offense is well coached. They're good to go. They just don't have enough talent here, maybe not enough talent there. But when it comes to game planning, scheme, and preparation, you can tell when an offense or a defense is good to go. Sometimes they just don't have the dogs. That might be a situation for him over there. But I also look at their situation and say, all right, he has some weapons over there. Also, yeah, the easy thing to do. The, the popular thing to do would to be to stay with KC and be a part of Mahomes Magic and Andy Reid. But we all have goals in life, and he wants to lead the charge. And I think the best move for him will probably be anywhere at this moment and say, I'm no longer attached to Andy Reid. I'm Eric Bieniemy, and I'm going to do this my own. And I've heard maybe he doesn't interview well. Shady McCoy says he's not good with players. Okay, now here's your time to erase all that noise. It's like everything you've learned over to, to the commanders and see what you can do with it. Yeah. it's um, Again, I think that I've done a little – not like a full – 
180, but initially uh, I was like, why would you take this job? Like, I remember we were talking about D'Amico Ryans, the defensive coordinator uh, for the San Francisco 49ers going out to Houston, and it was like, don't take this job, and it completely made sense. Biennemi is in a different situation, but is going to a program that is kind of rotted from the top down, the same way that that, uh, Houston is. And it's like, it is more likely than not that this program fails, this regime is fired, and you're fired along with them, and then you Mm -hmm. can't get your job back in Kansas City. But there is an upside there that doesn't exist. In I don't. City. I don't see it working out. No, I don't see it working out. I see him doing a year or two and then having to move on. But now he has that experience, and he will be in this league as long as he wants to be in this yes, league. Yes, exactly. But he will never. There is no world where he gets more credit than he does right now. Like the Chiefs have just won another Super Bowl. There is no world where he gets more credit than he's getting right now. Yeah. Like, yeah what else yeah, does he have is. to do? No, no, no. I'm saying like with Kansas City. What else can he possibly do oh, where people oh, yeah, are willing to give yeah, him more credit? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? It's City, like yeah. he doesn't have anything else to prove there, mm-hmm. and this is the maximum amount of credit he's going to get. Yeah. Until Andy Reid leaves, it's just this. Mm-hmm. And so, Andy ain't going nowhere anytime soon. No. He literally said he, he's going to be back at least in 2023. He doesn't want to go anywhere. So, again, it's a it's a fascinating um, decision to be made because it's a huge risk, and it kind of highlights a lot of the risk that the coordinators take every day in the NFL. Um, we are going to stick with the NFL here. Uh, we've seen one of the most commonly uh, commonly mocked names to the Seahawks. We've gone over a couple times on our show. But what if he's even better than we thought? I'll tell you what we mean next.